You don't know what love is, okay? You don't know about love. It hurts. Love really hurts. And then she slams her glass down and she walks out and her glass is full of milk. Hello, maniacs. Hey, maniacs. How we doing? Doing okay? I'm doing okay. I'm excited about this week. Oh, this is a great episode. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, which are all present in this episode. Oh, yeah. And everything else we love. Warning, if you... uh, let your kids watch the show and have a discussion about naughty things. Uh, <laughs> Exotic they can, things. Yes, they can listen to the podcast. Yeah, we, we certainly are no worse than the people in this episode. <laughs> Rhino! <laughs> Even at our worst. So if you don't know yet, we are talking about Season 12, Episode 5, Small Mercies. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's the one with the model village. Yes. The Miniature Village. Filmed in November, December 2008, which will come into play later on. Podcast date was the 28th of October 2009. Why was this not a Halloween episode? I don't know. 6.43 million million viewers directed by Peter Spiff and written by Peter J. Hammond, who's written a bunch of them. So. Set in Little Worthy. Get it? Little Worthy. Hey. It's, it's little. It's little. Like the village is little. Get it? Get it. Get it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So we cold open on the model village, and they do it like you're supposed to be like, oh, this is a nice scene of a lagoon. Oh. Wait a minute, there's a giant walking in the lagoon. <gasps> you got me. You tricked me, Midsummer. Yep. Not. <laughs> I haven't said that since eighth grade. Not. <laughs> wow. It's Bob Moss, the giant. The, the 80s called. They want their not back. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. The 90s called. <laughs> that whole era called. But there are some people who have fallen down in the model village. And Bob is picking them up. Oh, but only some of them are important. Yes. He picks up Thomas. On your feet, Thomas. There's a lady down right next to Thomas that he just walks away from. Whatever. Poor woman. And there's also (laughs) a spectacular set of amusement park rides. Now, I looked these amusement park rides up to see if they were actually used anywhere else. No, these are made up for the model village that Sarah's going to talk about where this actual model village is. There's the supersonic rockets, Cooper's high flying swings, which I think is awesome. So the type of rides existed, but that specific name. Yeah. It's all original exist. to yeah. uh, Beck and Scott. Okay. So, uh, there's some beautiful pictures on them on online. The pictures from Beck and Scott of, uh, Beck and Scott uh, is the name of the actual model village that was used to film this episode. Yes, it's in Beaconsfield. They, they didn't build the model village <laughs> no, for this episode. No. Um, there's some really nice Getty images of those close-up of those amusement park ride miniatures. Oh, but there are some videos that are better. Oh. 
<laughs> There's a little fireman, and there is lots and lots of blood. It's all over the railway station. I don't know how, like, the reenactment of the crime is not as bloody as what is found there. Well, okay, so we're talking about um, Richard Tanner, who is the first victim in the episode. And, of course, you've seen this episode, listeners. Otherwise, you have no idea what we're talking about. By the way, 90 seconds in, blood, right away. Yeah, right I'm away. I'm on board. <laughs> he, But he is stabbed in, like, the kidneys. Yeah. And, like, the liver on his, his lower kind of back side below his ribs. I think that would be a pretty bloody stab. Oh, I think so too, but it doesn't show it. It doesn't like squirt out. (laughs) I know the first thing I thought when you see all the blood on the train station is, oh, the poor people who run this model village must have been like, okay, do you have to? Okay, you're going to put, okay. Does it have to be this pale ivory colored built? Okay, it has to be that building. All right. What are you going to use? Will it rinse off? Is it going to stain it? Like, that's a lot of work. It's going to get into all the nooks and crannies. It's a lot of blood. You could probably go there today and still find blood on that railroad station. I bet you you could. But before we actually see that body, we get a little tour because Little Worthy is gossip central, right? So we've got to see all of the main players because they're all going to know, even though they're not present at the crime scene, they're all going to know what's going on. First, we have Harriet and Hillary Compton. Straight out of the Comptons. <laughs> Otherwise known as Sourpuss and her sister. Who live in the doctor's house from uh, the letters episode. Oh, there's two. it's featured in two episodes yeah. before this. Yeah. They have that house that has the forecourt. It's a beautiful house. But they also have their very own private church. And there's a graveyard. There's a graveyard. In case you didn't notice, there's a graveyard. Hey, and guess right what? Right there. It's tiny. It's a tiny graveyard. It's little. Right there. It's right little. there. Yep. It's right there. But we also have the White Heart Hotel. The White Heart Hotel. Heart is a female deer. Yes. <laughs> the school. Yeah. With crazy lady teacher. Mm-hmm. And then the beer garden and butterball tea rooms. <sighs> Run by the doves. Butterball tea rooms. Now, I know it's probably called butterball because... It is traditional in a fancy tea room to use like a melon baller to scoop the butter. So it's in cute little spheres or little clamshell shapes. So you can put it on your schoon. But all I think when I hear butterball is turkeys. Turkey. (laughs) So the doves run the turkey tea room. Yeah. And they've got penguins out front. They do. Two pink penguins at the turkey tea room owned by the doves. But you noticed something about those pink penguins. It's not the first time we've seen those pink penguins. Where have we seen those pink penguins before? We saw them in the episode. It's the same episode with the wine trebuchet. Yes. Where what's-his-name gets killed by putting the fancy TV scuba suit on his head, and it's filled with water and drowns him. The the former game show host. Yes. He has a big pink tuxedoed penguin in his house which we marveled over then now they've multiplied there are two on either side of the door of the butterball turkey time tea room yeah (laughs) it's just such a stupid name and we return well really both the gift shop and the tea room should be called the red herring tea room and the red herring gift shop yeah now the white heart not so much not so much killer central yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, when we get back to the model village this time, there are a bunch of posters there because it's a real model village, mm-hmm. of course. I, when we get to England again, we have to go to this place. 
for yeah, sure. Assuming it's open. Yeah. Yeah, it would be open. And, and we wouldn't be able to get to yeah, England. Yeah. And I want to see those posters. But there, I did notice one tiny thing about the, the tiny. Oh, see what I did there? <laughs> On accident. <laughs> On accident. The grocery. Every time we make a joke about something being tiny or little, have a drink. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you won't make it through the episode. The green grocer is named Chris P. Lettuce. That is one of many puns <laughs> in this model village. So tell us about the model village before Jones and Gail show up. And the yelling? Yes. Okay. I'm First of all, I'm just fascinated with model villages because I'm fascinated with models. I just think it's amazing. The fact that they set a scale from the very beginning, right? Yep. This is a one to 12 scale. So one inch. one inch to 12 inches in reality. Is that in old money or new money? Oh boy, we're going to get into that. <laughs> it's inches, not money. Yes. What do you know? It's a measurement, but it's not metric on you. Oh, we're going to get in on that too. <laughs> but Beck and Scott, which is the actual name of this model village, it was built by Roland Callingham, who must be the most economically successful accountant I've ever heard of. It was, he started it in the 1920s, but it really opened to the public in 1929. So he started it because, well, you know, he had a big garden. Yeah. And the gardener, cook, maid, and chauffeur who worked for him apparently weren't busy enough. Maybe I should be an accountant. So he started with a model train set inside. His wife said, it's taking up too much room. You got to move it outside. So he did. And then he thought, I'm going to build a little village to go around my train set. So he set his staff to digging him a pool, which is now the little pond in the middle of the model village. But, you know, when you've got a staff of four or five people who you can't keep busy, make them dig a hole. It's nice. Our staff. Which is non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> would never do that. They just go, mm, no. So initially it was just for him and his friends. He liked to entertain. And so he would throw parties in his garden and let his friends walk around the model village. You know, because again, most successful accountant I've ever heard of. When, when is this? He opened it to the public in 29. So between, you know, twenty early 20s and 29. Okay. It was kind of growing. Yeah. And then in 29, he decides to let other people come and see it, not just his friends. Well, it's not <laughs> far. It's not far from London. No. Like, it's like, it would be a 30-minute drive at most. <laughs> so it's probably two miles away. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like 15 miles. We had to pack a lot. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. He, he starts to build it. And then, of course, it becomes more complex. So it's now broken into, I want to say, five actual villages. They're of different eras. They go all the way up to the 1930s. Yeah. They kind of stopped at the 1930s. I looked at it on the satellite today and it's kind of divvied up into different areas. Right. Because he spread out in different areas. The Not rest, my personal satellite. Google Maps satellite, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Mark's satellite 1.0. <laughs> um, but the rest of his garden is gone now because it's all been sold off in parcels and there's a subdivision, yeah, like a housing estate that is right up against yeah. the model village. Teenagers break into this place. and Among the punny names, you yes. said crispy lettuce. Crispy lettuce. Crispy lettuce is the grocer. There is also Lee Key Plumbers, Sam and Ella's Butcher. Get it? Sam and Ella. Oh, yes. Butcher. Yes. It's a bad butcher. That's a bad butcher. And there is Mark Oni Wireless and Gramophone. Oh, I would Marconi. love to have a picture of that shop. Yeah, it's it's out there. <laughs> if you want to see it in all of its glory and its yeah. original glory, British Pathé. Yes. Is that right? Yep. P-A-T-H-E with a 
They're the ones who did all of those little black and white, like two minute news, funny news stories that would go before a movie at the theater. Like here in Britain, this thing is happening or jello. We've launched a (laughs) ship and you know, that, that kind of thing. They have recently started putting all of their footage up on YouTube and it is amazing. I I will link to their channel. I'll warn you though. Once you start, you won't stop. Yep. It's, and and start in reverse order because in the last year they've kind of focused on like war footage, but the early stuff they put up when they just started. So reverse the order of the posts and you'll start with the most awesome stuff. I watched one the other day that was about a hair salon in the 50s that was space themed. <laughs> and all of the beauticians and barbers wore like silvery spacesuits as they did people's hair. It was so funny. Well, you wear a silvery spacesuit when you cut my hair. So, of course. Absolutely. Have to. But they have many different movies that are tours of Beacon Scott. They've got one from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Wow. And so you can see it like it becomes color after a while. Yep. And they're really fascinating. So I was watching those. And the reason I mentioned those. Oh, and Princess Elizabeth visited it in the 1930s. By the way. Oh, Princess Elizabeth. She was so cute when she was there. Of course she was. She was very polite. She's super cute. She stayed on the path. Of course she didn't did. veer onto the grass, even though some places you're allowed to. Yes. So I'm watching these British Pathé videos about Beacon Scott. Yep. And there's one from the 1950s, and it's a minute and a half. And in the middle of it, there's one throwaway sentence where the guy narrating the video says, but Beacon Scott doesn't have long to live. The council has said it has to come down. I'm like, what? What? What happened? Because it's still there. Yeah. It's so still- what happened? Yeah. Here's what happened. It was too successful. There were too many cars coming into Beaconsfield. The council got upset. And so the residents were like, hey, you got all these tourists here parking, even though it's always been totally for charity. All of the revenue has gone to charity since the beginning. Okay. All right. Still, they were like, there's too many foreigners, visitors, whatever, tourists coming into our village. We don't want it. And so they said that it had to be closed down. Okay. And in 1950, they said, you've got 10 years okay. to, to move it. The clock is going. Because they knew it would take a while to move it. Well, yeah. And uh, Callingham, who started it, was still alive. He lived until 1961. And so everybody thought, oh, no. Well, they fought back. They were like, no, we're not going to close. This is for charity. It's raised a lot of money for a lot of good causes. We're not going to close. You can't make us. Elizabeth likes it, man. Lizzie. So they went to court. Okay. And this is what's amazing. So the argument that the council made wasn't that there were too many cars coming into town, into the village. The argument that they made was that he had never got council permission for these buildings. That are little. Yes. And while you can sit on them. On his private property. Yeah. She, she, Bernice sits on one at the end and I'm like. (gasps) Yeah. They're pre- it's pretty sturdy stuff because yeah. it's outside year it's, round, yeah. right? It's got to be pretty robust. Yeah. But that was their argument was that he didn't get council permission to build these buildings. And you have to get permission before you build a new building. You've got to get building permits and everything else. And they have to be inspected. Yes. And he didn't do that. No, he didn't. On his own property. Yes. In his own backyard. And they're tiny. Drink. So <laughs> they went up several layers of the court. Yeah. Not quite to our equivalent of the Supreme Court, but pretty high up. And he lost. Oh. And they said everything that was built after 1929 had to get a building permit or be torn down. Were there wee permits? <laughs> <laughs> Drink. <laughs> no. 
And that's no little thing. Oh, everybody's going to be toasted before we even get to the first murder. Jeez. So they go back and forth, back and forth and have all these fights. And eventually they are allowed to keep it because of the charity, right? Because of the, the benefit to the community. And because he argues that the buildings were small enough not to need foundations. Wow. And, I bet also. And that was the rule. So anything that needed a foundation had to get, and like it is here, right? Yeah. You can put a shed in your garden and you don't have to get a building permit for it if it's send it, sitting on like a cinder block foundation. Yeah. But if you have to dig and pour concrete, yeah. then it has to be inspected. Like a deck. Right. Then yeah. it has to be inspected. And so you have to get a permit because yeah. that's how you get into the inspection process. Yes. And he argued that they didn't need foundations and so the council was still right. They still proved their point, but they had to back off and they couldn't make him tear him down. I, I like to think that the busybodies who were on the council had passed away by then. And Probably. Like, Go ahead. <laughs> It was a kickback and we're, uh, we're okay with it. Well, wow. Did I go down a black hole here oh. because I was reading like court proceedings and everything <laughs> else, but all these people who had started vill uh, village businesses like the Butterball Tea Room argued on his behalf to say, this is a benefit to the village. We, we make a living from this. And so if you take it away, you're, you're doing damage to the village so I think he contributed to building a car park where people coming to the model village would park yeah, and I they would pay to park. Car, there, there was and park. so they resolved it and uh, they backed how off. How many of these things are there? There's several dozen of them all over the world, but this is supposedly the first one. They're big in Europe, aren't they? They're like yeah. big in Germany. Yeah, they're really big in Germany. And there's, of course, there's the Lego one that's built completely of Legos. Yeah. Most of the other ones are either recreations of one village down to the final detail or they are like global villages and they have like locations from all over the it's world, small world modeled all, yeah places like that yeah. though there is this place in jefferson colorado that claims that beacon scott lies Ooh. that they're not first oh that they were first but i have to say the model village that they're talking about is built on a one to five scale so it looks like Kidville, yeah, not miniature. No, but they claim that uh, Beacon Scott's wrong. I wonder where the closest one to us is. I don't know, but they've tried to sue them to to stop claiming that they're first, and they've lost. Whatever, <laughs> silly Americans. Uh, yeah. So that's all you need to know about Beacon Scott for now. We come across the first body because we haven't even seen the body yet. Because poor old Bob Moss just gets slow mo and upset mm -hmm. and we come across the first body and you notice something right away <laughs> so the camera it's funny because if this was a real village they would need like a crane or a drone or something yeah. right but since it's miniature it's probably just a guy with the camera it pans up over a thatched roof pub or something like that and and over the crest of the roof and then you see richard tanner tied down like gulliver's travels and the sound, of course, the music goes, ah, but it gets really high. But then there's this, there's a yell in the music. It's like, rah, <laughs> it's so weird. We'll play it for you right now. Yeah, that is definitely <laughs> a yell. And there's all these miniature figurines standing around him. He's tied down to the ground with these um, like stakes and twine, which he's already dead before he's tied down. There's no way you would be able to do that. to A living person would just lift their arms up, right? Yes. 
but he's even got twine across his mouth. Like three yeah. times it goes like yeah. from one side of his mouth to the other. So his mouth is open. And in the scene where we get to see the body for the first time, the actor, Jamie uh, Treacher is his name. His mouth so moves. Oh, yeah, it's moving. And you can't blame him because he's got twine in his mouth. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that would be. So, yes, this is from Gulliver's Travels. As far as I can tell from the research I did, this originates in Gulliver's Travels. So Jonathan Swift came up with this idea. So they really do tie Gulliver down like this in the book? It happens very early on. So Gulliver's Travels, if you're unfamiliar with it, he visits four places one with little people, one with big people, one with yahoos, and one with horses that are talk like men. Yeah, but the Lilliputians are the most famous. So the Lilliputians are the most famous, and it's really to talk about small-minded people, yeah. right? There's two political parties in the kingdom, and they're arguing over which end of the egg to break an egg from, the big end or the little end, right? Gulliver's Travels, written in 1726 by Jonathan Swift, who was an Anglican who lived in Ireland at this time. He was British, but his parents moved there. The full title of the book is Gulliver's Travels or Travels into Several Remote Nations of the World in Four Parts by Lemuel Gulliver. I bet you didn't realize Gulliver was his last name. I knew it was his last name, but I didn't know his first name was Lemuel. Lemuel Gulliver, First a surgeon and then a captain of several ships. That's the full name of the book. So does he like wash up on the beach, passed out or something, and that's how they tie him down? His first adventure is he washes up onto the beach because the boat sinks and he washes up on Lilliput and they tie him down. Now, of course, he's the first one to say, even though you've done all this work to tie me down, I could just sit up, Mm -hmm. right? He's not actually trapped at all. But he acquiesces yeah so it doesn't scare them and it's been done in a whole bunch of other there's all sorts of references to it yeah but i was kind of surprised that jonathan swift that was his uh his creation yeah i thought maybe we saw it because there have been a few movie versions especially like a really early one like from the 50s or 30s or something like that and he's tied down i thought okay so that's become the trope that everybody who talks about gulliver does nope it happens in the book really early in the book well, Richard Tanner is certainly tied down. <laughs> Jones, it's not a suicide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barnaby's not amused by that comment either. No, he's not. <laughs> and then we get to see the Palfrey sisters, or I'm sorry, the Compton sisters in yeah. full effect oh. because Harriet wants in there. She definitely wants And Gail in has to physically fight them off. And Barnaby just walks right through, shows his ID and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving Gail to try to wrestle Harriet. <laughs> they get past her. They do. And they barge in and they're like, oh. oh. And then they see the body and they're like, oh, you could have told us. That's what she says <laughs> when she's getting escorted out. You could have called us like totally offhand. I'm like, that's the best line of the episode. <laughs> It just makes you think that Gail doesn't tell them why they've cordoned it off. Like, it's a crime scene. Wouldn't she have said, somebody has been murdered, and that's why you can't come in? Why didn't she say that? Maybe she did, and they didn't listen. Harriet's not really a listener. No, Harriet's not really a listener, so. (laughs) Next, we move to a typewriter scene. and (laughs) So painful. (laughs) 
it's a typewriter scene, so I'm completely interested in it. But this is the worst typewriter scene in Midsummer history. Oh, this is Edward Palfrey, who runs the White Hart Hotel. So we have a question about this. Does he type up the menu every day? And if he does, does he type a copy of it for every menu? It is the most inefficient way to put a menu up ever. And he's bad at it. And we meet, we meet Edward Palfrey and we meet Bernice. Who doesn't get a last name? Nope, you she's know. just Bernice. Bernice the killer. <laughs> and our giant goth daughter, Christina. Mm-mm. Krista. Krista. Don't call me Christina. It's Krista. Did you notice how much taller <laughs> she is than uh, everybody? Bernice. <laughs> That's why I'm using my deep voice when I'm Krista. Like, <laughs> whatever, Bernice. Oh, they you're found two, a- You're two tomatoes short of a salad. They found a body. It uh, must have died of boredom. Uh. <laughs> Edward Palfrey is played by Paul Bental. Yeah. And he doesn't have a lot of credits, but he's got one that's that's really special. Okay. He was in Flash Gordon. Oh, he was? In 1980. Okay. The Flash Gordon with oh. Brian Blessed and everything in it. You'll never guess who he plays because it's a very small part. But do you remember who Clytus is? Mm-mm. Clytus is the gold-faced robot guy. He's oh, a, yeah. He's a bad guy. I don't know if he's supposed to be a human in a gold mask or if he's supposed to be a robot or whatever, but yeah. that's Clytus. He plays Clytus's pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and he's about as emotive in that role as he is in this oh, one. Oh, he has some trouble. Poor man. He's got lady problems. He does. Between his daughter, his wife who just disappeared on him when she was little... And Bernice. How rich are the Comptons? They own half the village and they have a church on their property. Yeah, Harriet's got her very own church. Probably because she can't stand to be around anybody else. And any minister who might run a church that she attended would get run out of the village in 30 seconds flat. She'd yeah. never be satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Is Krista the first goth we've seen in Midsummer? Uh, well, I would say that. The satanic guy who runs, has the party. Yeah. His, his daughter's kind of gothy. Kind of. But then she dresses as a Native American Indian squaw. Oh, and we'll That's get, not very gothy. We'll get to the casual racism of <laughs> oh, this Oh, it's episode. in there. Yeah. But she's on the edge of being gothy. But Krista is full on black velvet skulls. Yep. Oh. Rip poster. Did you see the rip yeah. poster? That's the like, worst poster ever. She's so goth. Like, why is there no Sisters of Mercy poster or something that was actually gothy? Before we go too far, I, I need to tell you about Bob and the Comptons. Okay. So Bob Moss is played by David Ryle. He passed away about four years after filming this. I know you'll be surprised by this, but he played Churchill at least three times. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> he's an older British guy with thinning hair and he's kind of heavy set, So yeah. he's got to play Churchill. Yes. But he was also in The Elephant Man. Yes, he was. Now, do you know what role he played in The Elephant Man? He was one of the Carnival Barker guys, wasn't he? <laughs> he's credited as Man with Whores. Oh, <laughs> He's the guy with the horse. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> Margaret Tizak, who plays Harriet Compton, was also in Garden of Death. She's Naomi Inkpen. Yes. You remember the Inkpens? The Inkpens. She was in A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. She plays the lady of the house that they go and invade, isn't she? She's listed as conspirator. 
Oh, then she's not that person. She was also in 2001. Yeah, she was a friend of... Kubrick. Kubrick. We talked about that one. She was cooler as a young lady. She was. She was in a lot of stuff. She's in the the airport scene in 2001. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Elena. Now we can talk about Bernice. Okay. So Bernice is played by... Olivia Coleman. Who... Everybody knows now. Looks like a child. At this point. She does. She looks so young. She's so young. And of course, she's been in so many things since and has won so many awards. Awards. And wow, if you didn't know who she was at this point, this role, she shines. I remember seeing her later going, oh, she's that really good killer from the Lilliputian episode. Yeah. (laughs) So she had just made Hot Fuzz. Which ends in a model village. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's an awesome fight scene in a model village at the end. But she had just been in Hot Fuzz the year before, and then she makes she's in Midsummer. Like, you'd think this kind of role would be earlier, and, like, she wouldn't have done a movie and then done this show. But I think the fact that she's in such a big role in this episode, I mean, it, it, it had to help her career. It certainly couldn't have yeah. hurt her. But she'd already been in... And lots of things. And Hot Fuzz, she's the station's town bicycle. She's PC Doris Thatcher. <laughs> Who's Doris? Randy. Oh, she's very Randy. She tells every dirty joke ever. Yep. But before that, and I didn't know this, but her early career, a lot of what she did were sketch comedy shows. Oh, okay. And she was on Mitchell and Webb oh, constantly. Okay. Well, that's cool. And you know how much I love David Mitchell. David Mitchell's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. So she, she's obviously close friends with them and was on all of their stuff. But she's so good in this episode. Now we need to talk about the Red Herring School (laughs) with Rebecca Ricks. They call it a nursery school? They call it a nursery school. And that means it's like up to third grade or something? Yeah. And she's the only teacher. I assume that kids older than that in Little Worthy take a bus to a different village for school. I would think so. So they sing Green Grass Grows All Around. (sighs) That song is an earworm. Yes, it is. It's meant to be. It's so stuck in my head for days. <laughs> Any idea where the, you might think that comes from? No. It's ap- actually American. It's oh. an Appalachian song. Mm. First written down in 1877 in Miss M.H. Mason's book, Nursery Rhymes and Country Songs. So it'd be from like Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Somewhere around there. Yeah, it's an example of what's called a cumulative song. Yeah. Where you're really practicing memory. You're adding a new thing, like Old MacDonald. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, it practices memory. Mm -hmm. Did you notice also below the pictures of the Lilliputian stuff in another part of the The horror drawings? The horror drawings? Horror drawings. There's history drawings. No, I mean- The pictures of Gulliver tied down, drawn by the kids that are horrific. Yes. They look like autopsy instructions. They go into our category of crazy kid pictures drawn in classrooms. Yes, in Midsummer. Yes. But underneath all that, there's a really cool kind of British timeline of history. Oh. That's there. So I'm sure it's one of those standard school things. Yes. So let's deal with the Tanners and, sorry, the Johnsons and the Doves. (laughs) The Swappers. The Swappers. Because the Johnsons run Browse a Wild Gifts, which is the worst gift shop I've ever seen. Worst gift shop. It's all just 
pink fluffy crap. How many throw pillows can you have in one store? And she just keeps going back to the to the stock room and pulling out more. Pulling out more. Here's more pillows and more pillows and more pillows. But Mike Johnson, he's on the make. He's on the make with everybody, apparently. And of course he is. He was in Market for Murder. He played Harry Painter. Yes, he did. Hung, he was the pool guy. Yeah. And the former he's stock trader. He's a little more put together in this episode, but he's still Lothario. Man. Yeah. So he does a good job here. Yeah. I think he does a great job acting here, especially when he's like, it wasn't me. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> really. <laughs> I know it looks like me from I, I know it's like my... The weapon is m- mine. And I asked to get it sharpened. And I had it made, especially murderously, but I, I, I didn't do it. And stakes and twine. Yeah. <laughs> the poor guy is framed not for any reason. He's um, not having actually framed. No, just, it's uh, accidentally framed. A victim of Bernice's circumstance. Yeah, Bernice isn't even clever enough to frame somebody. No, she kind of likes him. Yeah. Like, when the cops are taking him away, she's like, oh, what's Sorry. going on? Sorry. Oh, bye, Mike. By the way, I did it. <laughs> when Barnaby first talks to Mike, he uh, Mike is making his Neptune costume, and he's stapling some stuff onto a hat, a crown thing. Yeah. And he puts it on, and he says, how does it look? And Barnaby says something really dismissive. I don't remember <laughs> what it is, like, like crap or stupid or something. I don't know. And walks away. And Mike is just standing there going, oh, oh. I guess. Okay. Annabelle Johnson is Annabelle Thaw. Abigail. Abigail Thaw. Sorry. Yeah. So she plays the owner of Browse a While. You might have seen her as Miss Frazel in Endeavor. And her husband was in last week's episode. He's in The Glitch. And her father is? John Thaw. From? uh, Morse. Morse. And lots of other things. Lots of other things. Morse was kind of his last role. and The one he's best known for now. She's a very different person than Miss Frazel in this episode. So she's being cheated on by Mike Johnson, who is cheating on her with Kate Dove. And who the is? Do- the Doves run the Butterball. <laughs> Turkey Factory. Turkey no. Factory. No, the Tea Room. The Tea, the tea room. room. And their relationship is Kate is a goer who's willing to go with everybody, including <laughs> the dudes who are walking down the street, <laughs> literally going with them. <laughs> and her husband... Doesn't like running a tea room and is kind of mousy. Yes. In a town that says that they don't do anything, but they have like all sorts of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Of course there is. Yeah. They're all red herrings, but they're fun. They need to just swap spouses and get over it. They'd all be happy. The best part of them, which I like, is they're red herrings. They're clearly red herrings, but you're not bored by their appearances. It's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're an okay break. Yeah. You're not like, whatever, get get on with it. Though I do have to say the fact that Mike and Kate have sex on a quilt that has just come into the store to be sold. I don't want that quilt. Is there? That's not how you treat the stock. Is this the first fornication that we've actually seen in Midsummer? No. No. We've seen like slapping on the bum stuff. Like we saw that. The very first episode. No, we didn't see any fornication. You, You see... In Badger's Drift, you see her straddling him in the woods, and it's clear that they're both nude. Yeah, and when they're in bed together. I think that qualifies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think those qualify. When they're in the bed together in the cottage and the nanny. From the very beginning. Yep. And here we just see feet and shoulders. Rhino shoulders. Because there's all kinds of decorative pillows to fill in the rest of the gap. (laughs) She says, you smell like a poof, but screw like a A rhino. rhino. Yeah. 
And he's like, hey, 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 do you like this froofy quilt we're on? It's so beautiful and pretty and pink. Yeah. So Richard Tanner, the dead man, his sister runs the craft center. Yes. So this is not a craft shop. I no. think they call it a craft shop. No, I think they call it a craft center. Okay. What is a craft center? So this is a traditional craft center in the UK in an effort to maintain traditional crafts and, and the skills associated with those, there are various funds that you can apply to to open a traditional craft center that encourages the creation of things that are traditional artisanal skill sets in the UK. So like basket weaving, rope making, boat building. I mean, depending on where you are in the UK, they have these craft centers to support and encourage And a lot of the artists who make these things, they make very little money. So they get a little bit of money and it's a little, it's a little from the government to encourage them to continue to do those things so that those skills are maintained. Oh, okay. Now there's a group called the Heritage Craft Association that kind of coordinates this across the UK. And they have a list of all of the crafts that they support as traditional UK crafts. Okay. All right. So this is the list. Now, this list is hundreds of items long. Okay. But a few that I thought were interesting. Automaton making. Automaton. Okay. You know about me and automaton. Yes, I I do. They're awesome. They are awesome. Bagpipe making. Bagpipe making. Coach building. I built a coach. Like you can build buggies. Yes. And get government funding. Flint napping. Okay. Which Phil from Time Team should be all about. Yep. Neon bending? Yeah, that's probably so. You bet you do glass blending and put neon tubes in. I know, but that's not a traditional UK craft. Uh, that's decades old now. Okay, I suppose. And orrery making. Orrery? You know what an orrery is? I used to. I don't you know. You do. Um, it's a model of the solar system, like a clockwork oh, right. model of that's the solar a, system. That's right. We, there's a big one in Lovecraft Country, yes. which we watched recently. Yeah. Um, then I noticed when I clicked on orrery, because I thought, I know what that is, but I'm going to be sure. I noticed that they have a endangerment level. Oh. And it is listed as critically endangered. Okay, so these are crafts that are endangered. That one is critically endangered. Ooh. And then I thought, what else is critically endangered? Yes. Then I found out they have a red list Um, that they put out every year. The red list. The red list is the crafts and skill sets that are most at danger of being lost. Like sirens and everything. Woo, woo. It does kind of, I think it did have a light on it. And they have a category beyond critically endangered called extinct. Crap. You want to know some of the extinct? Yes, lay them on me. Cricket ball making, gold beating. Okay. That's like hitting gold, right? Lacrosse stick making and mold and decal making, which is involved in paper making. Oh. Critically endangered skills. This isn't all of them, but this is a few. Clog making. Okay. Okay. That is not a UK thing. No. I'm sorry. No. That is a Dutch, Dutch. thing. <laughs> and it's not critically endangered in Holland. No. They make clogs all day, every day. Yep. <laughs> Big clog factory. And they wear them. But in the UK, it's critically endangered. Hat plating. Okay. Which is weaving hats from like straw and reeds. You you braid them first and then you sew them together to make a hat. Okay. Mail making, like chain mail. Oh. Spinning wheel building. Swill baskets, which is exactly what it sounds like. Okay. 
and watch dial enameling. Wow. Those are critically endangered, along with orrery building. They should do a workshop show with all those on it. Yeah, they should. Like the repair shop. Yeah. But it's all people who do extinct crafts. I think, have we talked about the repair shop? I think so. I think so. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's on Netflix. Oh my gosh. It is lovely. That is is the only word to describe it. It's like (laughs) Antiques Roadshow, but even more peaceful and happy. Yeah. It's all happy. It's all very happy. Goodness knows we need that now. Everyone is happy. People are nice to each other and they work together and everybody ends happy. Yes. And they fix things. Yes. It's awesome. But yeah, if you're looking for a new hobby, check out the Heritage Craft Association list of extinct and endangered crafts. Yeah, maybe you get some money. Or just learn something that needs to be maintained. Yeah. So when we talk about the bodkin that Richard Tanner is killed with, do you know what a bodkin is? Is it like an awl? It is. We would call it an awl. Okay. And I don't really know why they call it a bodkin, because traditionally a bodkin is, you know how when the elastic in your sweats comes out of the channel, like it gets pulled all the way out, and I give you that little plastic thing to put the cord through that you can use to get the elastic back in? Yep. That is a bodkin. Oh. That's what that is. Okay. But, and so what they call a bodkin, we would call an awl, which is used to punch holes in leather. Yeah. I've used all I've used bodkins of this kind twice. Once to put holes in leather or canvas, something yeah. like that, like to put a grommet in, yeah. you poke through it. And the second way that they're used commonly is when you're weaving a basket, and yes, I have woven baskets before. You use the bodkin, you stick it down between two tight pieces of basket that you need to push something through and you use it to wedge them apart so you can insert another piece between oh, okay. them. Like a wedge. It, yeah, it's a kind of a wedge like tool. What I didn't know is that going all the way back to the 1700s, you could ride or sit bodkin, according oh. to the OED. Do you well, want to guess what it what it means to sit bodkin? Means, uh, okay, this is just a guess. Yeah. It means when you sit on the saddle and the saddle horn is between your legs. <laughs> no, <laughs> that would be really uncomfortable. No, that's how normal people sit on the saddle. Yeah, but why would you have a special name for sitting on it normal? Because you have a special name for side saddle. So what do you, what's the opposite of side saddle? Not side Regular saddle. Regular saddle. Regular. <laughs> it's not bodkin. I just thought. Where do you think that knob's going? <laughs> just thought. Maybe. Do you think it's sharp? <laughs> hey, now. No, to sit bodkin is to fit three people where two people should fit. Oh. So when you sit in the back seat and somebody has to sit in the middle. Okay. And they're squeezed, they're sitting bodkin. Oh, bodkin. Because they're wedged in, yeah. right? Like how I said that I used it to weave baskets. Yes. They're kind of wedged in. Okay. See, now you know. Now I know. Now you can say, all three of you are sitting in the back seat and I don't care who has to sit bodkin. Yeah. And they'll just look at you and wonder. That, like our children always do. <laughs> Speaking of children, Harriet thinks Richard Tanner was from the devil. Yes, she does. Because he didn't like anything new. (laughs) The devil's children are renowned for that. Richard is a young fogey. He's a traditionalist. Yes. Which doesn't surprise me since his sister runs the traditional craft center. Which makes complete sense. They're people His house doesn't. (laughs) Well... Unless you think of traditional as just being a mess and that cleaning is too modern. And he has a TV. (laughs) (laughs) And I... 
So Hillary and Harriet are supposed to be church people. Yes. Harriet more so. Yeah. I mean, Harriet is devout. So they talk about the devil and sin. Now she crosses herself. Does that mean she's Catholic or do Anglicans do that too? No, everything but the word Catholic. (laughs) Okay. And so Anglicans kneel in church too? Oh yeah. Okay. So, so they could be Anglican. They don't have to be Catholic. I don't know which they are. It's, I would assume they're Anglicans. And again, and I don't make the, want to make light of anyone's religion, but from my understanding of being raised Anglican, it's everything Catholic, but Catholic, but the word Catholic, divorce and confession. And priests. Yeah. That can't marry. Yeah. We, right? can, we can have married priests and now lady Anglicans priests. can have lady priests. Yes. Rick's the teacher. Yeah. Is super on edge because Richard dumped her. And she hates Jackie. Jackie. His sister. They go at it hammer and tongs, including accusing incestuous relationship. I know. Like they, I thought they were going to get into a fight before the craft break. (laughs) That'd be funny if one of them got thrown in the water. But there's this, again, this has been in Midsummer before, this dead person who we don't really get to know because they die before the beginning of the episode. Or right, at, or right at the no. beginning, um, seems to be this like hot commodity, and I don't see the attraction. He's unemployed, has a pit of a house, and all he does with his time is fight things. Yep. He does not seem like a catch. And he sleeps with Krista, who is we think implied is below to legal be, age. Well, younger than 18. Yeah. It's implied that she's younger. And he's at least in his mid-20s, if not older. Yeah. He's also slept with with Ricks, the teacher. Yep. And, and tried to, uh, no, it was Mike that tried to get on with Jackie. Though Kate Dove from the tea shop does seem to have a little thing for him. Yeah. What, of course, he's male, so she is a thing for him. <laughs> but when she's asked about him, she's kind of like, oh, yeah. And um, Ab- Annabelle even kind of says, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like all the ladies, except the two old ladies, seem to have it for him, except Bernice and the old ladies. I have a question about Ricks also. Mm-hmm. The teacher. How stupid is she? Well, stupid enough that she smokes in the bathroom and tries to blow it out a closed window. <laughs> what did she think was going to happen? Is that what you're referring to? Why is she sm- like? <laughs> okay. I was raised in the time where... There were, in my grade school, there was one teacher lounge and you could smoke in that lounge. Mm-hmm. Not that they ever, we ever saw it, but right. you could smoke in that teacher's lounge. And the, in high school, there was a smokers, teacher's smokers lounge and a teacher's regular lounge. Because God, <laughs> God forbid the teachers had to go outside to smoke. <laughs> but at no point in time did anybody think it was a good idea to go to the bathroom. And smoke. <laughs> well, I think she does kind of run the school, though. Like, I don't know who's going to tell on her. But she so she says that they the kids have drawn the picture from Gulliver's Travels because they get suggestions from the community for their art theme every week. That cow is so possessive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you went right to that. Oh, Barnaby says bitch. I know he does. Because Jackie says that. Ricks is a bitch. And then he says it. And I'm like, oh, Barnaby said it. Barnaby said it. 
But not not that Rebecca Ricks seems surprised at all. She's like, oh, well, she's a cow. No. <laughs> the second person who is stupid is Mike Johnson. For, for which reason? The fact that he makes out with his girlfriend while his wife is in the storeroom 30 seconds away? No, because I can actually understand that. You know, the thrill of getting away with I it. Guess. I the guess. The fact that he has a customized weapon made that then becomes a murder weapon? No. no. Oh, <laughs> what reason? It's the boat. Which is a dinghy. It's an inflatable raft. Yes, it's just a dinghy. With stuff attached to it. Yes, which he has pegs for? To anchor it to the beach, to the side of the lake. And it also is easy enough to lift up and carry, and yet he has it on a trailer. Now, the other boat, the Viking boat. That's a serious boat. That's a serious boat. It's got barrels as a... Barrels the base and, of it. And that That'd needs be wheels and yeah. all that stuff. But also, he does it in the forecourt of his shop. Speaking of the Johnsons. Yes. What is a mystical moments grotto? Do not know. Because <laughs> Annabelle says, next year, I think we should have an, a mystical moments grotto in the back, in the garden, because more people are into those spiritual things now. I've known hippies. I never knew a mystical moments grotto. They had one skeleton in stock and a cop bought it. Yeah. But there is one other, one, one other Halloween Because we like, we like Halloween. So we're always on the lookout for Halloween. Oh, I got a radar. Absolutely. So when Mike is standing there making his Neptune crown, there's a, a table behind him that has cute and fluffy bunnies, more decorative pillows. Yes. More and one plastic gray skeleton goblet. Yeah. Just one yep. sitting there. That's it. And then we see the skeleton on the front of the Viking ship. No, the pirate ship. Yes. So is there a policeman in that pirate ship? I guess so. Who bought it? Maybe. I don't know. Off to the morgue. <laughs> George is great in this episode. George is fantastic. But George says something. That sent me down a rabbit hole. I didn't know I was going to go down. Okay. So he said, old money. What's he referring to? Well, what he's referring to. Oh, measurements. He's saying the the blade or the, the implement that he, that Richard was killed with. Was 16 cylindrical or five eighths inch in old money. Right. Which he's saying non-metric. And I'm right. Yeah. I was like, I wonder which old money that refers to. Mm -hmm. It's a really recent phrase. And what it comes from is from Decimal Day. Right. Know about Decimal? When the UK switched from their old money system to the new money system. Which was the, do you know when it was? No. The 15th of February, 1971. In my lifetime. Wow. Yep. That must have been so huge. Oh, I'll get into it. <laughs> I mean, I just can't. I'm, I'm like, the implications of switching your monetary system. So on that day, Britain switched from a decimal uh, to a decimal system, which said one pound is 100 pence or 100p. Mm-hmm. Uh, from their old system, where the, in the old system, you had 12 pence, which made a shilling, and there were 20 shillings to a pound, so 240 pence to a pound. But then there were half shillings and crowns. Yep. All and these like weird thirds things. of yeah. things and stuff. Happenies and hay pennies. Yep. Which is a half penny. Yes. All those things. But like every bank, every ATM, every cash register, everything had to be changed. I mean, when they went to the euro, at least the euro is still a decimal system. So there were a couple of things that happened. First of all, this is because 
Britain has a more centralized government, this is how it happens, right? There was a whole campaign, of course, Mm -hmm. of information about this. But some of the campaign highlights include a half an hour episode of a show that was created just for this called (laughs) Granny Gets the Point. (laughs) (laughs) And is it the decimal point? That's what she's getting? Um, It starred a woman uh, who played Granny who was on in a show called On the Buses, which is a famous British show. Okay, so she was a well-known person at the time. Well-known actress at the time. And it's about a family with a mother and a father, an older mini-skirted sister who is like, I'm the hippie child. Get with it, Grandma. And a little boy who teaches Granny how... How money's going to work? I watched an an excerpt of this... (laughs) And it included such gems as you and your decimals have all been brainwashed. <laughs> That's Granny? Press, oh, yeah. Pushing back? Granny has decided that she's going to go on strike and lay down in her bed until <laughs> everyone <laughs> comes to their senses. She says if they give them, give her her pension in new money, she's going to throw it right back in their faces. Well, who's that going to hurt? They also had five-minute shows to teach kids about new money called New Money Day that had puppets, which are fantastic. Are they scary? Oh, my God, (laughs) yes. So how do you do this, right? Because it leads to tons of questions, right? Like you had a question about cash registers. Mm-hmm. This is a, a thing, right? Yeah. So the government reimbursed you 85% of your new cash register if you couldn't retrofit it. Wow. So there must've been a whole business around retrofitting things. Yep. And so th- the thing I thought about was banks. So how does this work? So the banks get the coinage on the 14th they start distributing it to the to the the branches the branches and the vendors mm-hmm. right on the day before so then you can what happens is you pay with old money and you get new money in back right so that's Until how, eventually you have no old money left the, or did they have a deadline where it's like if you have any old money you got to bring it in the the deadline was the 31st of December of that year at, at that time they retired a bunch of coins so they said that's it Mm-hmm. Pounds they didn't have to worry about. Right. right. And they sent the, they sold these sets of the new coins to get kids interested in all this stuff. But the banks, think about this. So now you're switching from old money to new money with checks. Yeah. So the banks were closed for five days. That's it? Yeah. Before uh, they, they were closed like three days before and two days after. The, fi- the 14th. To make the official switch over. To make the official switch over. And they did it all by hand. Wow. Because there was no computers or anything That's like that. That's crazy. So so this happens in 1971. And I'm like, well, now it says in all these things. And now it's commonly referred to as, because originally they wanted to call them new pence. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, no, we'll just call them P. <laughs> yeah. How it got linked to measurement because did they uh, adopt the metric system at the same time? Yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's ni- an all change. Everybody change. Everything ni- change. In 1968, three years earlier, the metrification board began the changeover from metric from imperial to metric measurement. 
Can you imagine an old person living in England from 68 to 71? All the kids are crazy. All the money is crazy. All the measurements are crazy. Everything is changing. Except distances on highways. Yeah, well. They stayed miles. They stayed miles. (laughs) You got to have, maybe that was a concession to the old folks. We'll still call it miles, okay? We won't use kilometers. Granny gets the point. (laughs) It is. She either changes or she gets shivved. Awesome. (laughs) I, I will put the extract. I'll try to find the whole thing to put in the show notes. But it is brilliant. It is <laughs> it is the worst kind of corporate writing. Like the the mini skirted teenage girl is like, you know, I think it'll be easier and to do this and this. And the father goes, But you work in a shop. <laughs> Well, just last night we were watching an episode of the new series of All Creatures Great and Small, and the new vet gets paid four shillings a week. And I'm like, I wonder how much money that is in today's month, because it just seems so little. And I looked it up, and there was all of this like conversion from shillings to pence to half pennies to to dollars to pounds, and then the conversion from that money to current day money. And I'm like, I think I think he got paid. $30 $30 a week. This this whole <laughs> I think in today's money it would be $30 whole a half week. hour show is like that because the mother goes, "How do I know I'm not getting taken for a ride by a merchant?" And the father's like, "Well, if you pull out this graph that the government has provided, oh you can see this and this and this." Wow. Oh, it's brilliant. It's If only we could have Boris Johnson explaining oh, that. Oh, Granny gets the point. What do you have a three-step thing for that? As soon as I saw that name, I'm like, oh, this is going to get good. Wow. So that's old money. Country line dancing. That's just square dancing. Yeah. But the band is not a country band. Well, they are. It's a good. mandolin, a fiddle, and... They have two gigs, by the way. They have this gig, and, and they got the boat race. They play at the crazy craft race. <laughs> I love that Krista tells Bernice she's three tomatoes short of a salad, and she has some of her pages stuck together. Yeah. You're a book with some of its pages stuck together. She does have some colorful idioms. <laughs> like, that's the meanest thing you can say? <laughs> that's it? You're three tomatoes short of a salad? I didn't know there was like a, a minimum number of tomatoes in a salad. Yes. Apparently. There is, there is, is it is it metric or is yeah, it imperial? I don't know. <laughs> it's all money, man. Okay. So so we have to deal with Annabelle and Steve in the shop. Okay. <laughs> this is because I know Abigail Fall most from Endeavor, where she plays Miss Frazel, who's very much a mom kind of role. No. A professional woman. Older sister role. Yes. She she gives some advice. Yes. And that's how I know her and like her. For her to be sidling up to a guy and talking about her exotic underwear made me uncomfortable. It did. And then (laughs) they kept showing the pillow. And yeah, because... Mr. Johnson, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Tanner is, no, Dove, Dove. jeez, Steve Dove is stroking one of the ubiquitous decorative pillows in a way that, again, made me uncomfortable. I'm like, Steve, take your hand off the pillow. The whole thing. It's bad enough that that quilt is now tainted, but now that pillow is tainted too. I I kept saying, stop. (laughs) 
you can't blame Annabelle because, hey, her husband's on the go. No, I, so, I don't blame them. They just need to swap partners. Yeah, and they'd all be happy. He yeah. wants to work in the gift shop. Yeah. I don't know how they stay afloat. I think we have to assume that they keep saying this is the end of the season, the yeah. end of the season, that somehow during the summer, this place is hopping and a rocking, money flowing all over the place. So the final event of the season is the craft boat race. The crazy craft race. So before we actually get to the race, we have to talk about Krista's costume. So there are these theme boats. Yes. There's a Viking theme boat. Yes. There's a Neptune theme boat. Yes. And apparently a sea nymph theme Oh, don't forget the Native Americans. We'll get there. Because there's cultural appropriation all over the place. Casual racist. (laughs) There's also wind in the willows. Krista. Has a sea nymph outfit. Which is like blue and green, tealy gauziness. Seaweedy stuff over a scuba suit. A scuba suit. Which she has on? <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have it on underneath it. It's going to be cold. No, well, that's the thing. Why Why are they having this in the middle of winter in England? I don't know. They, they got to chip at the ice. <laughs> they should call it like the polar crazy craft race. Because oh that it would be so cold. It's not freezing because you know from all of the mud no. that isn't frozen, that it's not that cold, but you can see people's breath. Yeah. And Hillary wears a fur coat that goes down to her ankles and a furry hat that don't match each other. Yeah, they don't. (laughs) Swanky Hillary in her furry coat. So she looks weird, and then they go to the race. When she has her tantrum in the kitchen, when Bernice is just trying to be nice to her, and Krista's like, you don't know what love is, okay? You don't know about love. It hurts. Love really hurts. And then she slams her glass down, and she walks out, and her glass is full of milk. Yep. She's such a hard ass. She has a glass of milk. She's very hard ass. And and of course, we're supposed to feel bad for Bernice here. Now, of course, Bernice is like, well, I guess you got to (laughs) die. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody slams down milk in front of me. I'm going to kill you later. (laughs) You got to (laughs) go. There's just so much mud at the race. So much mud. There's so much, much mud. And then Bernice randomly kills Bob, not kills. (laughs) She randomly kisses Bob Moss, right? Because at this point, we don't know that he's her dad. No. And we already have the impression, and we may as well just admit it, that she's not quite all there. Yes. Like maybe she's intellectually limited. Yes. She smiles at everything. Nothing kind of gets to her. But nice. She's socially awkward. But she's very, very friendly. And loves her husband, Edward. Yes. she. I don't know if they're married. Wouldn't they're she together. have a last name if they were married? Yeah. They're together for sure. Yeah. She clearly loves him. And she really does want Krista to like her. She makes an effort. Yes. Until she sticks her with a pig stick. Then she stops making an effort. <laughs> now, Krista's in a boat with at least two other sea nymphs. Okay. In the beginning. Whoa. We need to go back. <laughs> Did she go to the boat race expecting to kill Krista? Mm, good question. I think she was looking for an opportunity. Okay. Because the other sea nymphs disappear. Krista lies in the water right beside the trident, luckily. What is Krista trying to do? She's trying to free her oar from the mud. I guess. But her boat isn't there. Boat's not there. So the other nymphs have left her. It's around like, the It's corner. like she's fallen out of the wa- out of the boat, into the water, come up onto the shore with her oar, and it's stuck in the mud, and she's trying to get it loose. 
Yeah. Bernice finds the trident, which can float because apparently the handle is floatier than the murderous, sharp, pointy head of it that is metal. And uh, now we know that uh, Jackie Tanner is also a blacksmith. Not only can she weave a basket, but she can blacksmith too because she made the head of it. She made it. How incredibly sharp would it have to be? To go through the nymph costume. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you the nymph It's costume. gauze. Easy. It's gauze. The scuba suit. That's harder. The hard heart exterior <laughs> of blackness <laughs> that is Krista's soul. While she's standing up. Yeah. Now, if she was laying on the ground, I got no problem with stabbing her with that. But while she's standing up, I think it would have pushed her over before it went through her scuba suit. It would yeah. have to be razor sharp to cut through her scuba suit without pushing her over. This is the second time we've had crazy lady who had traumatic childhood kill somebody with a trident. <laughs> it was Orlando Bloom last time, yeah. but that was a pitchfork. It only had two times. Okay. <laughs> But he was also standing up. That's nitpicking. I'm just saying. I'm just yes, saying. Also standing up. <laughs> and who finds the body but our favorite? <laughs> Joyce. Joyce, the body finder. She's got a nose for dead things, okay. apparently. First of all, she's like, I'm gonna go see the end of the race. And Barnaby's like, No, uh, I don't want to move. <laughs> what? He's already knee deep in mud, he doesn't want any more. <laughs> So she's like, come on, Jones, we're going to hike around the pond and see the other side. So they go to the other side. And before they get there, they come across Krista. And at first they're like, oh, what's that? And then like, (gasps) close up on Joyce's face. So I rewatched this. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first shot of Krista when she's lying in the water is an actual moving shot. The gauze moves. Yeah, but the second time it's a freeze frame. The second time it's a freeze frame. Yeah, which tells me she's not a good dead body. That actress, they had to do that. No, no, I I disagree because the first shot's great and the shot where she's lying on the tarp is also great. That's true. I'll so, give you that. But but that one shot that she moved too quickly or something. But they freeze it for a few frames. But then George comes along. Yeah, he says she was killed with the trident, and then he just turns to Tom and he goes, "Tom, why so sharp?" did you notice in that scene when he goes why so sharp that mike johnson is in the background just staring at the dead body and he's like i am so screwed (laughs) i wonder if they know that i have the tent pegs and the twine Oh, somebody's trying to get me in trouble here. I didn't even do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. He does such a good job of appearing super guilty and not being guilty. (laughs) He does a really good job of it. (laughs) Then they go and look in Krista's room and it's like, here's the pit of the darkness of my anguished soul. With no actual copyright material. No. (laughs) No. It's just purple velvet and black satin and skulls and candles and sadness. She would be really good friends with Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. Yes. (laughs) The two of them would be good buddies. I do have to say Krista's hair is awesome. It is. She's got great big Elvira hair. It's great. I like Krista. I think she's fantastic. Well, then she's dead. Yes. So. And Bernice is At first upset, but then relatively not upset. (laughs) Well, she switches from being sad, which clearly she's not, to being supportive of Edward. Yes. She says, you've got me. Yeah. And that leads us to talk about how she got there in the first place. 
So the story that we're told is that... That Edward owned the hotel. His wife left. He had Krista to raise on his own. And now he has this hotel and restaurant and bar to run on his own. She left with the golf pro? Tennis pro. Yeah, somebody. And so he puts an ad in the paper looking for a maid, kitchen help, etc., and along comes Bernice. And it's really everything he ever wanted. Yeah. So he basically hired a wife. Yeah. What do you know? Isn't that convenient? Yeah. And she came from a broken home. She was adopted. And she had lived with her adoptive mother until she died. And then this was the first real job she ever had. What we don't know at this point is that she is Hillary and Bob's child. Mm-hmm. So Hillary's husband died relatively soon after they got married. Mm-hmm. And she, of being the Christian believer, didn't want to get married again. Marriage was eternal. But she had a fling with Bob Moss, yeah. who I keep wanting to call Bob Ross. It's not Bob Ross. <laughs> that Bob would be Moss. totally different if Bob Ross ran the model village. <laughs> Happy little trees over here by the model pub. Yep. Happy trees over here. Yeah, so it, we we're kind of given the impression they had like a, a one night thing, and Bernice is the result. Harriet gave her so much grief over it that she gave the baby up for adoption. But then later, Bob went looking for her and made contact with Bernice and kind of encouraged her to come to Little Worthy. Yep. So now she's there. In Krista's heart of darkness room, she has a drawer of stolen figurines from the model village because she's a thief. Now, for the next 10 minutes of the episode, all we have is Mike Johnson looking guilty in a different way. (laughs) What else could he do to inadvertently look like the killer? Oh, I have blood all over my outfit. I I was carrying the murder weapon. You caught me over the cadaver. Um, I wrote a letter that said I'm going to kill you. Like, (laughs) he couldn't do much more that would make him look guilty without trying to look guilty. And Bernice is just like, uh, ho-hum, ha-ha, smile, smile, walk away. Somebody leaves flowers for Mr. Bones. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the miniature graves. Who used to run the pub. He was a figurine that ran the model village pub. Yes. But then he got too old. How does that happen? I don't. How do you get too old as a figurine? I don't know, but it sure absolutely pisses off Harriet. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. First of all. Every time they say Harriet, I think. So I married an axe murderer. Yes. So do the Harriet thing. (laughs) So I married an axe murderer. If you've never seen it, Mike Myers does this spoken word poem about this girl he's in love with. And so I married an axe murderer and her name is Harriet. So he says, I can't believe I know this by heart. I didn't try to learn it. I just know it. He says, Harriet, sweet Harriet, hard hearted harbinger of haggis. Cause she's a butcher. Yes. Uh, beleaguered bellicose butcher. Yes. Untrusting, unknowing, unlove. Ed? 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 It's a question. Yep. And then the jazz band kicks in. Yeah. The other thing that I thought that makes me a horrible person is <laughs> when Harriet is kneeling in the church and praying and you see the killer's hand grab the hammer. I just thought, hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> so Harriet, Harriet stomps on the flowers on Mr. Grun's grave and then takes a hammer and smashes all the, the little tombstones. Yeah, that Bob Moss has made. Why is she so angry at this point? I I think that she is just somebody who has been bitter and angry her whole life and just boils over. But yes. the killer sees. 
I think she doesn't like that things are happening that she's not in charge of. She feels like the village is out of her control. I think She can't believe that the police would talk to Bob without talking to her first. Yep. Like, like she's royalty. Yes. Like they are the lords of the manor and everything should go through them. You don't talk to our servants until you talk to us. That's the kind of thinking that she has. Yes. And I love when... Um, when Hillary finally gets mad at her, she says, uh, you've always operated that if it's living, you should criticize it. And if it's dead, you should pray for it. Yeah. Like she's obviously a hypocrite. Yep. Totally. Claims to be so religious, but doesn't act like it. She has no sense of charity. And whatsoever. Harriet knows about Hillary's past and holds it over her. Yeah. All the time. Rubs it into her yeah. that she had a child out of wedlock has made her feel bad yeah. about it for what? 30 years at least. Yep. I would say Bernice is at least 30. That's just, she's a horrible human being. That's why she deserves hammer time. Well, speaking of <laughs> hammer time, we find Bob Ross with the murder weapon and the blood. <laughs> and we're like, it's oh. Bob Moss. Bob no, Ross. Not Bob Ross. Bob Moss must be the killer then. How I does love- Barnaby know right away that he's not the killer? Probably because the guy's blind in one eye. Has a bloody hammer and is standing there waving it around going, I killed her and I'll kill you too, maybe, sort of, if you come over here, even though I can't really stand up straight and I'm kind of old and feeble, but I'll get ya. <laughs> Watch Me- out. Meanwhile, Edward, being a good husband, starts to unpack the groceries. Oh. <laughs> What's in the bag? What's, What's in, in the, the bag? bag? And then he dials 999 in the most dramatic way possible. Nine. Nine. It could have only been more dramatic if he had had a rotary dial phone. That would have been more dramatic. Nine. <laughs> well, it's hard for him. Imagine yeah. how hesitant you would be if you had to report me for maybe being a murderer. 911. <laughs> Oh, I see how it is. Okay. If you're murdering people, I could be next. <laughs> Especially if I just murdered your kid. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oops. But he knows. Edward knows. Edward yeah. knows everything right then. Yeah. So he must have seen signs. Well, she says little things and, yeah. and then she smiles. And Olivia Coleman has the right face she, for this role. She's, she's got the kind of prominent teeth. That when she smiles, even a little bit, it's just this big, beautiful, toothy grin. Yep. That's just instant. And she's so good at being like, well, she just had to die. Yep. Smile. (laughs) So we have the weirdest interrogation scene ever because Barnaby interrogates Bernice at the model village. He's being gentle with her because he knows that she's had a really hard life and that she may not quite be all there. Clearly she's not because she's killed three people. And she's sitting on a house. And she sits down on a house. Well, and we get that other level of her relationship with Bob that, you know, her father runs this little village and to him, those people are real. And so she's his daughter. So maybe he kind of instilled that in her and they kind of thought of it as like an escape. It's good writing, but it doesn't make sense because he didn't know her until she was an adult. Yeah. But I guess since she's kind of childlike, maybe it still happened that way. Maybe, but he started the miniature graveyard long before he had reconnected with Bernice. So he was already, these are real people. How does she know that the kids at school are singing green grass? Well, the school is in the center of the village and maybe she was walking by. Maybe. You'd hear it. Maybe. It's weird that they sing the same song. It is. 
very weird. It makes you think that maybe she was keeping an eye on Rebecca Ricks. Yeah, I think so. And Mary, who died four years ago, drank something that didn't agree with her. Yeah. Smile. Oh, she's so creepy. (laughs) She's fantastically creepy. It's so good when she does that. Because what we've been told before is that she died of cancer. Yeah. Kind of leaving Bernice on her own. And so she decided to apply for this job. And now we know, no, Bernice decided that she was going to go to Little Worthy because that's where her dad was. And so her adoptive mom was just kind of in the way. Yeah. So that's it. But she must have done it in a way that didn't arise suspicion because she's not been investigated for Mike it. Mike Johnson should be in the background going, well, I guess I'm not a suspect. I told you I didn't do I it. I told you I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. Well, I slept with her. Okay, I did that. But, but <laughs> everything but else. beyond that. Oh, and I, I dirtied that quilt. But beyond that. Because I'm a rhino. Me. <laughs> Told you I didn't do it. Shag like a rhino. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that Annabelle doesn't try to throw him under the bus. Yeah. That she doesn't tell Barnaby, like, I don't know where he was. Yeah. Or, I thought, look at these pegs he's got. <laughs> I thought that was coming, so. Yeah, she's too busy talking about her exotic underwear. And then the episode ends. The end. <laughs> Jones and Gail are going to come up and, and arrest Bernice and take her away That's in it. a gentle way. The end. Yep. <laughs> Okay. This is a great episode. I love this episode. I think this is one of my top five episodes. If I, if I didn't mention it before, it's got all the looniness that I love. Yeah. And nothing is serious. Well, no three people die. <laughs> and like, if you take Olivia Coleman and um, so you take Bernice and put her alongside uh, Anna Massey's role in the first episode that she's in where she's the killer. Of, she's got yep. her brother upstairs. Yep. Her wide eyed crazy. Yeah. They're very different types of crazy killer lady. Along with the crazy pitchfork killer lady. Yeah. But of the three, Bernice is the most subtle. She's the most successful. Oh, she is. She's happy the moment moments I, later. Yeah. She I mean, if they if there wasn't evidence, if she was better at hiding that shirt. Yeah. If she hid the shirt better, yeah. N- I don't think she would have got caught. Nope. Because okay. her fingerprints aren't on the hammer anymore. Nope. Because Bob's picked it up. Yep. Right? So it's all down to one bloody smock. If Edward had put that smock on the incinerator and pretended he never saw it, she would have got away with it until she killed more people. Because I think she would have kept going. Let's be honest. Maybe if not you right away. Somebody but eventually. And I found evidence of it. I'd probably hide it. I thought you'd call 911 right away. No. I was Unless not. it was your kid. No. If I, I killed your kid, they'd it'd be different. It'd be rough. It'd you'd be, rough. be like, ah, but she's a good cook. And- it's not really podcast topic. <laughs> Here, listeners, here's a topic for discussion at your next dinner table. Yes. Ask your spouse if they would turn you in for murder (laughs) if you killed their child. Yes. (laughs) Or if you didn't, it would be okay. Okay, best corpse. (laughs) Nice corpse. Okay, so we have three corpses. We have Richard Tanner, we have uh, Krista, and we have Harriet. Harriet barely appears. Yeah, we can't even have Harriet be a contender. It's just somebody in boots. It may not even be her. That would be tough for a lady of her age to lie on a stone floor like that would be hard. I wouldn't ask her to do it. Richard is a mother. But come on, give him credit. He's got twine in his mouth. Yep. And he's tied down. Now he could get up, but he shouldn't get up. I I would not be able to lay that way for long. No, but I got to give it to Krista. You think so? Lying half in the water and lying on that sheet, her eyes are wide open. Now, I have no doubt from this actress and what else she's done and 
who she is, that she's a crazy lady. Okay. So <laughs> her that, name is Matilda Sturridge. That wide-eyed craziness, I think, comes natural to her. Oh, okay. I disagree with you. I'm going to give it to Richard. Okay. Because as an actor laying on the ground and they have to put all those um, pegs in and do the twine and he's got to lay still that whole time. The fact that he moves his mouth a little bit when that twine's in his mouth, I'll forgive him that. Okay. He's good on the slab too. In old money. So we'll have to disagree. <laughs> After the credits. Okay. Do you so, think that the, uh, the Doves and the Johnsons are going to swap? I hope so. I hope so Because it would too. make them more happy. I think so. I hope that Bob and Hillary, they may not form a sexual relationship, but I think they should have a long-term friendship. They can support each other. Yeah. The real loser. Bob should move into the house with her. Yeah. The real loser is Edward. Wow. I'm losing my job. Uh, Now he has a hotel that is even more of a sinker. My child's dead. Yeah. Uh, My phone, number nine on my phone is broken. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Just, oh. Yep. It's going to suck for him. Yep. And Jackie Tanner, I guess she just keeps running the traditional craft center. And Rebecca Ricks keeps drawing. What? You think they're going to keep fighting? I don't know. Let's make green men uh, artwork children. Yeah. Burning men (laughs) artwork. Well, maybe she went to the same like professional development class as the the lady in the, the straw man episode. Yeah. Because, you know, she had her kids drawing pictures of people on fire. Yep. So maybe it was some kind of like, you know, learning thing. Maybe. (laughs) Are you ready for bad movies? Bad movies. Oh, man, do I have some bad movies for you. Lay it on. I don't think you're ready for this. Okay. This movie is terrible. I bet Mark's seen it. I haven't been doing too well lately. I I get better. That's because I'm getting better at picking movies. Three. Three horrible movies. Okay, lay them on me. Bet Mark's seen them. Bet Mark's seen them. The first one uh, has Caroline Blakiston in it. She plays Hillary in this episode. It's from 1966. The tagline, who are the sisters of vengeance and how can they bring you closer to heaven? What does it mean when bodies of the dead vanish from their coffins? A Scotland Yard detective is investigating a string of robberies and a murder, and the information he uncovers leads him to the estate of a wealthy but strange English family who share their mansion with a group of nuns. This is a Mark movie. Why have I not seen this movie? It also includes nuns in a speedboat. Nuns in a speed. That should be the name of it. (laughs) It's not the name of it. (laughs) 1966. Something Abbey. And Hillary plays one of the nuns. Oh. Something Abby? No. Oh. The Trigon Factor. Oh, okay. T-R-Y-G-O-N. Yep. Because they have some kind of like three triangle symbol. And it like on the on the front of the movie poster, it says, if you see this symbol, run, run for your life. And it has a nun looking really like she's going to chase you. Yeah. I've heard of this movie. I haven't seen it. Trigon Factor. 1966. Yep. Nuns in a speedboat. Nuns in a speedboat. That's one for me. Yes, it is. I get that, and I put a big check mark next to it. Okay, ready? Yep. This is a 1994 movie. Okay. A psychi- oh, and, and Jesse Birdsall, who plays Mike Johnson. Okay. The, the red herring. Yep. <laughs> In this. A psychiatrist has developed an injection that is supposed to supply the neurotransmitter that psychopaths lack, 
giving them the positive social traits that everyone else has. She only tested it on one other person, the serial killer and herself. Instead of curing it, the psycho, I'm sorry, instead of curing the psycho, it allows him to have the ability to make dreams real. Whoa! (laughs) That's a side effect. Yeah. Like, this is supposed to make you not psychotic, and instead, it makes you... Nausea, vomiting, hair loss, and making dreams reality. Yes. (laughs) And sicking them on other people. Have you seen this movie? (sighs) 1994. Dreamscape? No. I didn't think it was Dreamscape. I'll give you a hint, though we're going to say now you don't know it. Okay. But I'll give you a hint to see if it helps you. Elizabeth Hurley is in it, and it's like her first big role. No. It's called Beyond Bedlam. No. Never heard of that Woo-hoo! movie. Two for wow. me. Two for me. That's, that's amazing. Oh, boy, folks. That's that's two out of three. Ready? Yep. Whew. This is a 2004 movie. Okay. And uh, Jamie Treacher is in it. He plays Richard Tanner in this Midsummer episode. Okay. The tagline, at the bottom of the world, the key to our future lies buried in the past. A team of genetically unique men and women make a daring first attempt in time travel to prevent the discovery of meteors that contain a deadly off-world bacteria, a bacteria that brings humanity to the brink of extinction. Why have I not seen this movie? (laughs) It's got a whole... Three tomatoes out of ten. It is that wow. bad. It wow. is really bad. No idea what this movie. It stars Dolph Lundgren. Dolph's in a lot. Yep. It's called Retrograde. Retrograde. No. So it's about this group of time travelers from the future who come back to 2004 yep. to stop a group of explorers from going to the South Pole and uncovering a meteor that has a bacteria on it that will kill people. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a good use of uh, time, time travel. Time travel? Yeah. I, I guess. It's very convenient that they come from the future to the present. Yes, it is. So that there's really no, like, future technology involved. Well, Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I got three out of three. You did. Wow. I am on I a need to roll. watch more bad movies. Woohoo! So that was The Trigon Factor from 1966, Beyond Bedlam from 1994, and Retrograde from 2000. That's amazing. Those movies are filthy bad. I get to do a little dance. Do, 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 do. There's a chance that The Trigon Factor is so bad that it's good. Oh. There were some reviews that were like, this movie makes no sense at all, but it's kind of fun. I, I know that I've wanted to see it. Well, now you should put it on your list. I should. So there you go. Horrible movies. Mark hasn't seen them. <laughs> I'm going to lose this. This is going to become a boring segment. because I may I have to do a tally over time uh, because wow, you used to do a I, lot better. I'm, I'm not sure that I even watch horrible movies anymore. I guess not. All right. Little Mercies. Yes. Strength. Summer Maniacs on Twitter and Instagram and email. And we are also on the Facebook pages for Midsummer and Acorn and the subreddit. Don't forget the Spreadshirt store where you can still buy Midsummer Maniac swag for a good cause. And What's our next episode? YouTube, like and subscribe and hit the bell on YouTube. Next episode, episode 72, season 12, episode 6, The Creeper. <laughs> it has Rick Mail. Yeah. It has a creeper. <laughs> And it has a break-in at the Barnabys. A break-in at the Barnabys and Miss Jenny Auguter. Yes. <laughs> Who you love. Who I love. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs.
Each week we dig into the uh, 